I was always someone who wanted to really build something myself from scratch. This is Maya Penn, who started her first company at just eight years old. Today, on Access and Opportunity, we'll hear from Maya and later from her mentor, Phyllis Newhouse and Isabel Friedheim, two ladies who made headlines with their alternative to the traditional IPO process. It started off really with, at its core, bringing women to the table of what is a true economic opportunity, which is really what has been lagging. Women tend to have founderitis. We have this thing called founderitis. Welcome to Access and Opportunity. I'm your host, Carla Harris, and we're telling the stories of individuals working to drive change within their communities. We want to provide our listeners with context about racial inequities and share tangible examples of how ideas around access and opportunity are being made real every day. On today's episode, we look at special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs, which provide an alternative source of funding to grow businesses. I'll speak with Phyllis Newhouse and Isabel Friedheim, who created Athena Technology Acquisition Corp., the first SPAC led entirely by women. But first, we'll hear from Phyllis's mentee, Maya Penn, the founder and CEO of Maya's Ideas, about her business journey and the importance of reaching back to help others. Even when I was four years old, my dad showed me how to take apart a computer and put it back together again. Maya has always been multi-talented and driven, like many Black female business owners, the fastest-growing group of entrepreneurs in America. But Maya is also unique, most notably in how early she started. I then built my first website when I was 10 years old in, in HTML. I coded it myself. Maya started her first business at only eight years old, a fashion company called Maya's Ideas. I really just took my passion for the natural world, for art and design, and for entrepreneurship and combined those into starting my own business. I wanted to really be able to help reshape the way that we do things, help reshape certain industries. Maya's hook was slow fashion. The idea that ethical and environmentally conscious clothing manufacturing can result in longer-lasting products that ultimately benefit everyone. I started at a time where sustainable fashion was not really a mainstream topic at the time, but there was still a pocket of consumers that wanted to shop sustainably even through their wardrobe. And so I had to simultaneously you know, introduce my company to those consumers and also educate consumers who were not even aware of the impacts that the fashion industry had. As Maya's business grew, she began looking for investors. So in terms of communicating with investors, that definitely was an evolution for me because I spent so much time focusing on how to communicate with a consumer base, then I basically had to completely shift my mindset to get into the mind of a VC, to get into the mind of an angel investor, to figure out, you know, really what they are looking for, because, you know, they're they're not someone who's just trying to buy an end product. They're trying to invest in the creation of that end product and then eventually, you know, getting something out of it by, you know, being a partner with you. 
Finding the right partner is hard for a young entrepreneur and even more so for a Black woman. As of December of 2020, only 93 Black women had secured $1 million or more in funding for their business. It really is, you know, very kind of reflective of the numbers around how, you know, Black women are, you know, very underfunded within the business world. Like, that's a reality that I have lived. Like, despite how successful my company has been, it's still been, you know, very difficult to, you know, have the right kind of, you know, people come to you and want to invest in you. It's definitely, like I said, an issue that I have personally kind of faced. But I'm still like really looking into those alternative methods of funding and also, you know, seeking out funding from sources that, you know, really are interested in greening their portfolio, so to speak, that really want to focus in on diversifying the portfolio of entrepreneurs and companies that they invest in, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it opens up so many different doors and and opportunities um, as well. Creating that financial equality is really crucial for a lot of my goals in terms of trying to give back to my community and being able to reach back and focus in on bridging those like those financial gaps and those financial divides. This is a thought shared by Maya's mentor, Phyllis, a pioneer in cybersecurity and the first Black female CEO of a SPAC. With over two decades of military service under her belt, Phyllis is no stranger to breaking barriers. She just wants other women to feel the same. So, in 2017, she started a program called Shoulder Up with another boundary pusher, award-winning actress Viola Davis. Part of that program includes mentoring, like Phyllis, with Maya. Phyllis is someone who does really embody using the experience you have, the time, the talent that you have to reach back and help other people and especially other you know, young people that are coming up in that same space. There's an, an acronym that she speaks to, which is called ROCK. And so basically the R is resources, the O is opportunity, the C is connections. And you have to continue to shape that upcoming generation of that industry. For me, The true definition of success is not only reaching your own goals, but reaching back and helping others to achieve their goals and, you know, really embodying that mentality that we really spoke to, you know, reaching back and, you know, using your experience, your expertise and your knowledge to help make an impact on those journeys because it is so worth it to do that. When businesses like Maya's need investors, they have a range of options. But even with options, women and business owners of color often have trouble securing partners. Phyllis Newhouse and her partner Isabel Friedheim are combating this problem by creating Athena, the first SPAC with an entirely female board of directors. I sit down with them to see how they plan to chart their course since launching in March of 2021. Phyllis, first... I want to congratulate you on becoming the first Black female CEO of a SPAC. So before I go further, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, Carla, when we, Isabel and I first got together, we did the research and realized there had been no women of color to lead SPACs. You know, there weren't really a lot of women in SPACs that were women of color. And so then we also found out that there had only been 21 women to ever take companies public on any exchange. And there had never been a woman of color to do it. 
And so for me, it was not just about changing the game, but it was more about changing the industry and not being the only and the last one to do it. As our VP, Kamala Harris says, she says, I won't be the the last. That's how we really felt. To me, it was a deep responsibility to do this right and to have it successful back because we wanted more women of color to enter this space. Okay. So now, Isabel, you got your start at Lehman Brothers and then Invesco's private equity fund in London. So how did that foundation in raising institutional capital influence your path? And then in that, with telling us exactly what a SPAC is, because before we go forward on this conversation, I want to make sure that our listeners are with us, that we level the playing field so that everybody understands what a SPAC really is. So thank you, Carla. My background in the financial industry led me to see that there was an opportunity among business founders that we knew and companies that were willing to go public but choose a slightly different path is what led me to assemble this. But why women specifically? It started off really with, at its core, bringing women to the table of what is a true economic opportunity, which is really what has been lagging. You look in the 80s, leverage buyouts, and then the high yield boom in the 90s, and hedge funds, and tech founding of companies, venture capital. I can tell you I'm in the industry, and there are very few women that found companies still to this day. Only 3% of the venture capital goes to women, even less so to women of color. And I didn't want to see history repeat itself. And I wanted to create an opportunity for women to come early on in the process at the table of what is a new financial product and one that we'll probably see has some staying power. So to answer your, your question, what is a SPAC? It's a, it's a vehicle that will raise funds to take a company public that is an alternative to an IPO. And there are a few reasons why an entrepreneur who has founded a company may want to take his or her company public through a SPAC. One is that it's a much, much faster process. So you can get it done in a matter of a couple of months as opposed to seven months to a year as as long as it can take to make an IPO happen. Now, you both have started companies. So let's talk a little bit about your experience on the what I'm going to call the traditional paths of financing, i.e., you already alluded to it, Isabel, around raising those VC dollars or raising private funding. So talk a little bit about your experience. We'll start with you, Phillips, as you were getting Extreme Solutions started. Well, calling my background, so when you talk about busting up the SPAC Boy Club, what a way to do it is to bring somebody like my background. I didn't come out of private equity. I didn't come out of BC world. I didn't come out of investment banking. I came straight out of the U.S. Army, 22 years, running a cyber espionage command out of the Pentagon, started a company from scratch, from startup, grew the company to over half a billion, never took in private equity, no capital partners at all to this day. And then now running a SPAC with Isabel. So totally not the traditional route of what you see out here as a SPAC. So I get asked this question all the time. Well, what led you to do this SPAC when you didn't take your company through a SPAC? Well, there were very strategic reasons. I can tell you now from this side, it would be very difficult for those SPAC pursuers to come to me in the way that I was before, because now I understand more on the other side of SPACs. Do tell, Phyllis, do tell. So what was it about their approach to you that made you say, well, shoot, I might as well do this myself? And what is it now that you are careful not to do when you're thinking about being on the other side of that coin? 
Well, Carla, I would tell you one of the things that was a turnoff, I would say to me, when most facts were pursuing is that they had no one at the table that had the level of expertise to understand the business. And so we talked to so many SPACs and we said, what do you understand about cyber? Well, we really don't know a lot about cyber, but we, you know, and so that was a big problem because you got to think you're going to market with someone and that don't understand your business, don't understand growth, don't, don't understand really the obstacles and roadblocks that cyber companies uh, have as well. And so for me, it was a dial it back moment and say, dial it back, understand what these facts are really about. What better way to do it is go find a partner like Isabel, who, who we coach, we coached each other along the way and really brought value to understanding, you know, what, what a SPAC could mean on the next iteration of where Extreme Solution goes. Well, I'll tell you what's an interesting playbook point, and that is that one could argue that for some people, the SPACs were clearly a financial play to find companies that look like they were high growth companies to put into this vehicle called a SPAC and offer it out there to investors. But for you as the entrepreneur who was looking for a great partner, somebody to invest and expand your business, that vehicle wasn't necessarily the right way because they didn't even understand the business. So it's important for entrepreneurs to understand that all dollars are not created equal. There's a dollar and there's a dollar and there's a dollar and there's a dollar that has a multiplier effect. So be careful when you're raising money or when you're thinking about vehicles like this, because they may not be with partners that can actually markedly advance and grow your business. And I would say that that's also an interesting implication for investors that those who are sponsoring the SPAC, you should do your own due diligence to make sure that they really understand the industry and the business and that they can be value added to the businesses that, that they're going to acquire. Is that a fair Absolutely. way to articulate that playbook point? 100%. And uh, I'm sure Isabel will share with you on the back end of this, when we went to SPACs, I mean, um, target companies to talk to them, why they received us so well. And it was all about the strategy we put together from the beginning. So Isabel, you have a point on that point? Yeah, it was. Indeed, the concept was very well received and it was frankly refreshing because to get back to your original question on how alternative financing, um, the experience that I've had myself with raising capital, uh, both as a venture fund and as an entrepreneur, I mean, it's such a cliche, but there have been so many times when I've been the woman in the room with a male partner at the table. And even though I was running the company, people would ask questions to my male partner. And I would speak, present to the entire company, and every question was directed to my male partner. <laughs> it's just so true. And that was that was frustrating. But also what's frustrating is looking at the stats. So there's been a lot of progress that has been made for women, obviously, and for minorities. But people are very quick to put a woman on a board. And it's great, but it's not enough because it doesn't unlock a true economic opportunity in a position of empowerment where you can use the playbook that you just described and continue to be a leading figure in that new product. So this is really what we look to create here. We had a, a hidden agenda where it wasn't just about the financial opportunity, which is a good one, but it was about bringing more women flooding the market with women. And we have a large group, probably unnecessarily large, but I just got so excited about bringing more and more women. And I'm really hoping that this will have ripple effects and that you know our group will then all become second timers because they will have had a successful spec behind them. And that will hopefully generate more opportunities for women. Yeah. And you know what, Carla, I also think that as you 
look at a lot of the women-led businesses in the U.S., and I know this because when I look at most of the women today are saying, tell me what a SPAC is. And they're looking at this as an alternative to the traditional way of going public. And I would tell you, there are more women that I'm talking to that are running sizable businesses that could go public, just as large as my business. And I would tell you that I think you're going to see more women-led businesses go public as a result of this. Go public in general, regular way? Absolutely. What do you think was the impediment before, Phyllis? Because it's not like there's a lack of information on what an IPO is or what the process looks like. I can tell you what my problem is. You know, women tend to have founderitis. We have this thing called founderitis. It's like, like I'm going to hold on to this baby until it dies. You know, I'm not going anywhere. And we don't look at those alternatives because no one's talking to us about them. You know, you know that sometimes it could be a lack of advisors uh, about public markets. I mean, just there's a lot of things. If I look at my WPO chapters, we've had conversations about this recently. How is it that you can get to $5 billion in revenue and have never considered going public? And I would tell you that there are more women now today talking about SPACs and the alternatives than there's ever been. And how did you two meet? We met through the WPO, for which Phyllis is a board member. For our listeners who might not be familiar, the WPO is the Women's Presidents Organization, a group that connects women with multi-million dollar businesses. When Isabel and I started talking about how do we form this team and how do we bring women in and who are those women? And I can tell you through the power of the networks that we all have, the moment that you begin to leverage those networks is where you get real change. That's where the real change happens. Yeah, there's power in relationships. And I tell people all the time that, you know, you have this valuable tool that's already in your tool chest, you know, call a network, call relationships, but you fail to leverage them. They're no good if you don't activate them, you know, but so often, especially as women and people of color, we're worried about reaching out and asking for help because we're afraid either that somebody will think we don't know that which we should know, or we're afraid that they'll turn us down. And those aren't good reasons not to activate your network. Not at all. So you did use, I'm not going to call it the old girls network because I don't use old in the same sentence that I'm speaking. So the seasoned girls network same, sounds like you leveraged it. Yeah, we did. And if you you look at the dynamic board that we put together, Carla, Isabel and I was talking about this one day and, and it was just funny. It's almost like when you finished and everything is complete and you sit back and you talk about, you know, what, what we were able to do. And uh, Isabel said to me, she said, wow, look at this amazing board we put together. You know, you have the first black woman to ever take a company to a billion, first woman to ever sell her company for two billion, the first woman of a president of a university, first woman to be uh, at the SEC and at Nazareth. So, so we looked at that board and then the advisors across that spans across industry from private equity to investment banking, to institutional investors, to founders, to operators, turnaround CEOs, you name it. That's what we brought on the team. And that is why I think when we entered the market, um, we was a force to be reckoned with. What you guys have done and watching you ring that bell, you know, was a very proud moment for many of us that are out here. No question. I have one personal question to ask you, uh, Phyllis. What did your time in the military teach you about leading such an entity? Anybody that knows me know that I live my life based off the value card I was given. And whatever that value card is, you know it, you play it, and you play to win. And I remember 
being in the military, I've worked for so many generals before and leaving the Pentagon. And I just remember knowing that value card the day that I left. And that value card is, is it's, uh, I always say, if you had to play poker with some of the most skillful players in the world sitting at the table, what card would you throw out? The moment that you throw that card out, it is game over. Well, I know what that card is. My card is leadership. No one will outlead me. And so because of that, that secondary card becomes a negotiator. You're going to need that on the team. And Isabel and I talked about this. We all have power. We all have uh, value cards. If we look at all of our team members in the spec, not one of us brought the same value card to the table. And that's one thing that the military taught me is play your value card to the best of your ability, but play that card, the card that you know will accomplish the mission and that you know will win the game. And so for me, that's why I didn't really worry about Carla, that I didn't come out of, off of Wall Street. That's why I didn't worry about, did I come out of investment banking? That's why I didn't worry about, because I knew that if you put a team around you and you put people together and everybody has that value card, you have a winning team anyway. All you have to do is just lead the team. And what's one big misconception about SPACs that we could dispel right here and right now? I think there's been a, the, this, this concept of, um, you know, SPACs uh, going through this filtration process, if you will, where the quality of the sponsors has been somewhat questionable. And by quality, I mean, I think what's on the table is the execution capabilities, the uh, ability to assess the company and its future performance and its growth potential. So I think there's what, what we expect to see now in the SPAC market is a lot of that will eventually go away and there will probably be, you know, more branded type of SPACs that will remain in the long term. Okay. Phyllis, anything that you would add to what you would say to an entrepreneur who is getting approached by a SPAC that they should think about? One thing I'd say to entrepreneurs, do your homework on what public readiness is. is you have to do that because even at now, as I look at what we're going through, when you get to the due diligence phase, when you get to all the external partners that's going to be you know, really picking your company apart, a lot of folks have not done that first assessment to say, you know, are we even ready for the public, you know, enter the public market? So I think I say do your homework. That was one of the things I almost brought up when you were speaking earlier, Phyllis, about why more women hadn't gone public and they didn't know about it. And now they're thinking about SPACs. I would argue that even those who might have been approached, because your argument was that some of them had never heard about it, had not been approached. I think that there was certainly a, a little bit of a bias in the marketplace in that advisors who might have been approaching women-led businesses would talk about the stringent requirements, if you will, of being a public company. The fact that, you know, there is this disclosure, there are certain rules and regulations that you must adhere by, you know, the market is unforgiving, it only, you know, it judges you quarter by quarter, that for someone who had owned a private company for a long period of time might have easily been deterred because you sort of said, wait, you know, suppose I want to make this investment, I don't want, you know, a market telling me that, you know, they can't wait two years for this investment to pay off. I think it's a good investment and I'm going to do this to grow my company. And so there might have been a feeling that you had less flexibility in the eye of the public market as a public company than you did as a private company. So I think there might have been a little bit of fear, if you will, around that too, if my read was correct. 
Yeah, that, that's one of the symptoms of founderitis. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was under the umbrella of what you call founderitis. All right. Yeah, that's one of the symptoms. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. Well, ladies, we've come to that point in the conversation where we we have our tradition of access and opportunity. It's called the lightning round. And this is where our listeners get an opportunity to know a little bit more of you about as women. And so we ask a few questions that are more personal in nature than they are in business. And I ask for the first thing that comes to mind. And I'm going to start with you, Isabel, if that's okay. Okay. City or countryside? (laughs) I am new to the countryside and to country life, and I am now sold. Okay. All righty. Winter or summer? Winter. Coffee or tea? (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard one. I'm going to laugh at that one. Uh, well, it depends on the depends on the morning. Okay. Oh, I, I thought she was laughing because you take the coffee like I do, right in the vein. Ah, no, <laughs> she does. <laughs> okay. If you had a talk show, who would you want to be your first guest? Christine Lagarde. I'm a huge fan. Okay. One word to describe your legacy: empowerment of women. All righty, Phyllis. City or countryside? City. Winter or summer? Summer. Coffee or tea? Tea. Telephone or text? Telephone. Okay. If you had a talk show, who would you want to be your first guest? Michelle Obama. Okay. One word to describe your legacy? Inspirational. All right. Well, Phyllis, Isabel, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Carla, for having us. Thank it's you, been Carla. Fun. Thank you. What a privilege it was to bring together these three strong voices today. Each of these ladies is charting the course for others by creating the first ever women-led SPAC and becoming a CEO at just eight years old. You know, they're setting the tone for the rest of the industry. If you're not going to give me the opportunity to be in the space, I'll make that opportunity for myself. And how do you do that? Well, you activate the relationships that you do have. You don't shy away from asking for help. And trust me, I know that doesn't come easy. Type A personalities, the one deficit that they do have is around asking for help. But nobody, nobody can do it on their own. You will need other relationships in order to maximize your success in whatever endeavor you are pursuing. The bar for excellence is set so high for people like me and you to prove ourselves. You know, I just loved Phyllis's phrase, founder-itis. When we pour ourselves into something, we want to be with it to the very end. Founder-itis is real. But people like Phyllis, Isabel, and Maya are showing through action and advocacy work that it is possible to engage in the traditional and non-traditional paths of investment to grow your business beyond what you might be able to do alone. I want to thank Maya Penn, Phyllis Newhouse, and Isabel Friedheim for joining me on this episode of Access and Opportunity. What did you learn today from Maya, Isabel, and Phyllis? Send us your thoughts at carlapod at morganstanley.com. We would love to hear from you. Subscribe to Access an Opportunity on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for coming along. <laughs>